Tonight we are in John chapter 5. And as you can see, tonight we entitled this study, Troubled Water. Before we start, let's have a word of prayer. You can love and Father. We thank you for your spirit life that you have given to us. That we can come again to study your word. Thank you for your watch here and your goodness, your protection, your love upon us. Thank you, dear Lord, that during this time, before the time of trouble starts, we have where we can meet, we can study your word without being molested, without being under the threat of death. We pray that your Holy Spirit will open our hearts and our minds that we can understand your word. We pray for your people all over this world, some who have been problems, meeting the way we are meeting tonight. Thank you for the technology that we can meet to study, even though we might not be in the same home, or the same city, or even in the same state. It's because of your blessing upon human beings why we have this technology. Help us to make use of them so that we can be able to learn and also to spread your word. Forgive us. We pray for all our sins, for the special blessing upon us, even those who are sick and might not be able to attend Bible study. We pray for your mercy upon them. We ask, Father, that when you come, we'll be able to go home with you. We ask his mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. I think John chapter 5 is an interesting chapter. I think we're going to see some things that Jesus is doing that normally he does not do his ministry the way it's portrayed here in John chapter 5. It's an unusual ministry that he's having here. And again, the title of the study in John chapter 5 is Troubled Water. And I want to point out again, if you notice almost just about every chapter in John, there's all, always an incident that has to do with water, or bread, or light, or life. For instance, in John chapter 1, we have Jesus, John saying that Jesus is the light of this world. We also notice that there was water in chapter 1 because Jesus was baptized in chapter 1. Then in chapter 2, we see again there were water again. We had water because Jesus turned the water into wine. And then in chapter 3, we had with Nicodemus, we're telling Nicodemus that he is the, the light. Then in chapter 4, we had a woman at the well, so we had water again, and he also pointed out that he was the, that living water that came down from heaven. If anybody drink up that living water, they would never go thirsty. And in chapter 5, here we are again, we have water. So John chapter 5, verse 1, he said, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. It's believed that this is one of the Passover feasts. Now, as you see on the screen, the top, there are three feasts, special feasts in Israel. Exodus chapter 23, verse 17, three times in the year, all thy males shall appear before the Lord God. So when Moses, when God told Moses this in Exodus chapter 23, verse 17, he didn't specify it, but notice now in Deuteronomy, just before Moses died, remember, this was in the 40th year, I mean, well, not the 40th year, but the 39th year, the 11th month, one more month and the 40 years would be up. So Moses is going to die right at the end of Deuteronomy. He's going over more or less Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers with the people. So Deuteronomy is an overview of the other three chapters. So Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, it says, Three times in a year shall all the males appear before the Lord thy God 
in the place which he shall, shall choose in the feast of unleavened bread. That's in the in the fall, the seventh. Well, no, that's the in the spring, in the first month, the fourteenth day of the first month is Passover. Then the next day is the beginning of the feast of unleavened bread, which would have been the fifteenth day of the first month. Then the feast of tabernacle, which is seven times seven, fifty days later. And also, I mean, the Feast of Weeks, which is 50 days later, and then the Feast of Tabernacle, which is in the fall, which is in the seventh month, the 14th day of the seventh month. So because the people had one temple and they were living all over the land, God required that all the males would go up to Jerusalem three times in the year, Feast of Unleavened Bread in the spring. Feast of Weeks coming on to the end of spring, beginning of summer. Feast of Tabernacle in the fall. And again, it's believed that this would be now Jesus' second Passover. In chapter 2, we had his first Passover. So there's one more Passover and then he's going to die at the fourth Passover. John chapter 5, verse 2 to 4. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a multitude of impotent folks, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the movement of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season, into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity 38 years. The man was not 38 years old. He had this problem 38 years. And we're going to see a little later in the chapter it was because of something that he did that he had this problem. Now, this is where the pool of Bethesda is, where that arrow is. You can see it's just to the north of the temple. On the, 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 the temple facing us is that east portion. Over on the other side is the west. So where the pool of Bethesda was is just the, to the north of the temple. Now, you can see that if there is a feast of the Jews, which is the Passover, there will be many, many people in Jerusalem at this feast. And you can see then that most of them probably who had any problem would probably go by the pool to see if while they're at, the, at this feast, the water would be troubled and they could get healing. It's, it's interesting. We're going to come to this question, but we're going to touch on it now so that you can start thinking about it. Do you believe that this was an actual angel that was going down and troubling the water? Or was it just something more like what we have in Old Faithful, the geyser, where at a certain time the water would just spring up? I want you to start thinking about that question because it's an unusual way for God to heal people. Any type of superstition could have come out of this. People would think that, well, it's just the water. People would think that, well, I can do something, get hurt. Uh, if I get sick, I can just go and jump in the pool, be the first one in. And then I can go about, do what I did before, get hurt again, come and just jump in. And again, notice that it's, it's not, even those who are in dire need to be healed, that will be healed. It's people who would be healthy would be able to jump in. Do you think God works like that? And again, we're going to come to it. We might 
Ask it right here. Who troubled the water? Who is causing the water to be troubled? Does God work miracles in this way? Is there any other example in the Bible where you can see God healing in a similar manner? Think about it. Does God heal this way? I'm not going to answer the question yet. I just want to kind of start thinking about it. Because it's in the Bible. And the Bible said an angel went down and troubled the water. You know, there are many things that's written in the Bible that the Bible writers might say something to the best knowledge that they had. But we know who have more knowledge, who can understand the working of God, can take a second look at it and really ask the question, if God healed in this way. John chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he was lying at this pool for 38 years. Wouldn't that God have mercy on somebody who was that dedicated trying to be healed? He said unto him, Will thou be made whole? Now, <laughs> this is an interesting question. Why did Jesus ask that question? Isn't it obvious that he's been there for 38 years? So why ask the question? You know, we have God asking many questions in the Bible. In the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve were trying to hide, God came and asked a question as if he didn't know what was going on. He asked them, where are you? It's as if God wanted a response from Adam and Eve. Then you remember when Elijah ran away, God went to him and asked him, Elijah, what are you doing here? God knew why Elijah was there. God knew where Adam and Eve was. God knew that this man needed healing, but he wanted, he asked question to get a response. He wants a response from us. We need to go to God with all our problems and perplexities. And we need to tell him in such a way as if he doesn't know what we need. Because he wants us to come to him as children making a request. Not because he's hard of hearing but because he wants us to realize that he, the God of this universe, is willing to listen. Now, I want you again to think about, the, about the, what the people thought, that an angel went down at a certain season and troubled the water. Notice God, Jesus is here picking out the worst case that he saw. So you can see again that God does not randomly heal people the way some of the uh, Asian countries work. There are rivers in India and some other countries where people at a certain time of the year try to jump in the river to get healing because the river is holy. God don't work that way. God wants his children to come to him and speak to him. So Jesus asked the question, will thou be made whole? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Notice what Paul said in Hebrews. We do not have a high priest who is, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. In the King James Version, he said, we have a high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And that's why Jesus picked up this man. He was touched. With the fact that the man was there for 38 years and couldn't get healed. Now, you speak about faith. Didn't this man have a lot of faith? He had faith. He would not give up. For 38 years, how many of us would stay waiting for a miracle from God for 38 years? Now, look at his sad response. The impotent man answered him, Sir, he didn't, he didn't even know that it was Jesus. So he said, 
Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. So he's saying, are you willing to hang around that when the water is troubled, you would put me in the water? Now remember, here we have the water. But just a chapter before, Jesus said to the woman, I can give you living water to drink. Jesus not only provides living water for us to drink, but he provides living water for us to be healed. Sir, I have no man. So then why not go home? He didn't go home because he's holding out for that last possibility. When the water is troubled to put me into the pool. I notice here now, God does not work like this. If you remember when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness, when the manna fell, if somebody went out and gathered as much manna as they needed, even more than they needed, it would not affect the next person who was gathering manna. When they went home and measured it, those who took up more than they needed had just enough, and those who just was able to take up just a little when they went home, they still had enough. But here was a case where the man is saying, while I am coming down, another step in, step down before me. And Jesus didn't even let him finish. Jesus said unto him, rise, take up your bed and walk. Notice that the man didn't know who this was. He had no idea who it was. But yet, when Jesus said, rise, take up his bed and walk, he willed, he, he wanted to do it. And, you know, it, another author said, Jesus took him by the right hand and, and lifted him up. And when he did it, a man who could not walk for 38 years now, some people who meet in a car accident or have some type of accident, it would, and they get hurt, especially if they're hurt severely, it would take months of rehabilitation for them to learn to walk again. He was a person, never walked for 38 years, yet he was able to leap and jump and walk just by the word of Jesus. It was the Sabbath. John chapter 5, verse 8. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Why didn't Jesus just tell him to rise and walk? Now, in the picture that many of us have in our mind, we're thinking that the man was lying on a bed like this. So when Jesus told him to rise, take up his bed, and walk, that he was going to be carrying a bed like that. You know, sometimes when we read the Bible, we have in it our own thinking, but we have to think of the, the time and the place where Jesus was. The bed was just a piece of cloth thrown on the, 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 close to the edge of the pool. It wasn't a mattress like the way we sleep on. It was just a piece of cloth. So that's just his bed. John chapter 5, 9 to 12. Immediately, the man was made whole. And notice, he took up his bed. He did exactly what Jesus told him to do, even though he didn't, he didn't just run away. He did exactly what Jesus told him to do. He rose up, he took up his bed, and he walked. And on the same day, it was the Sabbath. So why did Jesus tell him to carry his bed? I wanted to think. Here again, the pool is just a few feet from the temple. A lot of people were in Jerusalem. This was very unusual. Normally, this is how Jesus would, uh, would uh, instruct people when he healed them. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 4, he's healing uh, a man and he said unto him, See, thou tell no man. In Matthew chapter 17, when he went up to the mountain and he was transfigured, and as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, Peter, James, and John, saying, 
tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen from the dead. But in this case, Jesus did something different. He told the man to carry his bed. The Jews therefore said unto him, that was cured. It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry your bed. Now, if you read the law, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you will not find a law that says you shouldn't carry your bed. That is found in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 21 to 23. Jeremiah chapter 17, 21 to 23. It says, Thus saith the Lord, Take heed to yourself and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gate of Jerusalem. Neither carry forth a burden out of your house on the Sabbath day. Neither do ye any work would follow ye the Sabbath day as I command your father. Now, when you read the book of Jeremiah, you will realize that in Jeremiah, the people had stopped keeping the Sabbath day holy. In fact, when you read Ezekiel, remember Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Daniel are three books that go together. Those prophets, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Jeremiah, live around the same time. Jeremiah was in Jerusalem when the children of Israel were taken captive. Ezekiel was taken captive, but he lived among the people. Daniel was taken captive, and he lived in Nebuchadnezzar's palace. With Jeremiah in Jerusalem, Jeremiah saw that the people still would not keep the Sabbath. So God told Jeremiah to tell the people who were not keeping the Sabbath, but were actually keeping Sunday. You can find that in Jeremiah chapter 7. And then the counterpart of that is Ezekiel chapter 8, where the people are worshipping sun. And if you worship the sun, Ezekiel chapter 8, then you're going to worship the sun and the sun's day, which will be Sunday. So the people have stopped worshipping on the Sabbath and were actually worshipping on Sunday. So because they were worshipping on Sunday, then the Sabbath was just a regular work day to them. So the people would actually carry, you know, their tools or sell things, and they would do it on the Sabbath. So God says, you should be carrying burdens into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. That's where my name is. That's where the temple is. That's where you should come to worship me on Sabbath. But if you were carrying burdens, they would carry whatever they were carrying. It could be things that they use in the field. It could be things that they're selling when they go to the market. So God said you shouldn't carry anything out of your house, no burden on the Sabbath. This case was a totally different case. It wasn't even a burden. It was just a piece of sheep. And Jesus told the man to carry it because he wanted to draw attention now to himself. The people were in Jerusalem. They came there for the Passover and he knew that the scribes and Pharisees would approach him and say it's not lawful to carry a bed. And please remember, it's not a mattress. It's just a small cot to lie on. Verse 11, John chapter 5. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up that bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up that bed and walk? That's an unnecessary question. Then it was Jesus. Remember, Nicodemus had said, when he came to Jesus, We know that no man can do the thing that you're doing except God be with him. So they knew that the only person who could have healed the man was Jesus. Because he was right at the temple for 38 years, and none of them went outside to assist him. None of the priests, none of the Sadducees, none of the Pharisees, nobody did. But with Jesus, 
Jesus healed him. So they didn't even need to ask a question. But remember, in order to condemn a person, you have to have a weakness. So that's what they're asking here. An extreme, oh, the burden, an extreme application to instruction given in the days of Jeremiah, what he just went over. John chapter 5, 13 to 15. And he that was healed wished not who it was. He didn't know who it was. He just said, the man who healed me, the same man told me to take up my bed. For Jesus had conveyed himself away. As soon as the man got up, he looked around. There was a crowd. Jesus was gone. In fact, it was done. The, the miracle was done so stealthfully that the crowd who was right there did not even realize what happened. It's just like the crowd who were following Jesus, bouncing against him. But when the woman who had said, touch him, she was healed, and Jesus knew the touch of faith, much different from those who were bouncing around him. You see, God is not in the showing off business, but he wanted to do something here to get the attention of the people. So Jesus conveyed himself away. Afterwards, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Before thou art made whole, sin no more. This is one of the two or three times where we find Jesus giving instruction after ministering to a person, telling them that they shouldn't sin anymore. We found we the other case is with the woman that was caught in adultery. And when we say caught, we mean in quotation, caught in adultery. Notice Jesus said to her, Woman, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. And here we have Jesus telling the man again, go and sin no more. Now, if, you know, there are many pastors today, there are many denominations today who will say we cannot, as human beings, live without sinning. If that was the case, then Jesus is the most cruel person that I've ever lived. Because he's actually telling sinners that they should not sin anymore. It's like telling a pig that they should not love mud. You see, if you don't change the nature of the pig, the pig will always love mud. But if you can in some way change the nature of the pig, then the pig might not love mud. Cats don't love mud. So if the pig could be changed to have the nature of a cat, the pig would avoid the mud. So a sinner who is a sinner can be changed by Jesus. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's what Jesus said to Nicodemus. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And those who are born of God, they can live without sinning. But we have to be born again. Do not marvel what I'm saying to you. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. Do not marvel what I'm saying to you. But you can't be born again. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. So it is proper for Jesus to heal a person physically and also heal a person spiritually. Whenever Jesus healed a person physically, it was always followed or it was always in sync with healing spiritually. Remember the man who was brought to Jesus by four people and they let him down through the roof and Jesus said unto the man, go thy way, thy sins be forgiven thee. And the people started wondering and said, how is it that this man can forgive sin? And Jesus asked the question, which is easier to say to the man who is paralyzed, get up and walk, just as in this case, or to say to the man, thy sins be forgiven you. And then he said, that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin. He showed it by healing the man. Rise, take up your bed and walk. 
So, in, you know, many people say that the health message is the right arm to the gospel. But it's not the right arm. God does not separate things. I don't know why we keep separating things. The health message and the teaching of the Bible, they are together. It's not, one is not the right hand or the left hand. They are together. So when Jesus healed a person physically, they were always healed spiritually. So when you're healed spiritually, you can be healed physically also. Go your way. Sin no more. Verse 15. The man departed. And what did he do? He went and he told the Jews that it was Jesus which made him whole. John chapter 5 verse 16. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things that the Sabbath did. Isn't that interesting? Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath day. Made the person whole on the Sabbath day. And the people who were accusing him of breaking the Sabbath by doing good, they went out and held a council to kill him on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto. God is always working, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father. Now it's interesting. What does it mean by saying that God was his father? They wanted to kill him for that. We need to understand that when Jesus said, God is my father, it had a deeper meaning, much, much deeper meaning than what may appear to us. In John chapter, again, 5 verse 16, he said, God was his father. Didn't they say God was their father? So why would they want to kill him for claiming that God was his father? Notice in John chapter 8 verse 41, then said they to him, the Jews to Jesus, we be not born of fornication. You see, right through his life. Remember, at this time, Jesus is over 31, 32 years old, and they're still accusing him of being born out of wedlock. We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. So why then would they want to kill him for when he's claiming to be God, when they themselves claim to be God? You see, they knew that Jesus was doing more than just claiming that God was a father, like how they, by uh, being obedient to God, would say God was their father. John chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but said, also God was his father, making himself equal with God. When they said God was their father, they didn't say it in the sense of saying they were equal with God. You know, you have a church today that claimed to be God on earth. That's blasphemy. But when Jesus said it, he wasn't blaspheming because Jesus was actually God. That's what John said in the book of John John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here we have Jesus now saying in the sense that he was equal with God. And because he's equal with God, then he can give instruction for someone to do something on the Sabbath day without them breaking, him, breaking the Sabbath. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. We need to have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is that we always think of others better than ourselves. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning, I mentioned this text, was the word, and the word was with God. Going back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning, 
God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, notice John started his book just as how Moses started his book. And the word was God. Then in verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So when God, when Jesus said, I'm the son of God, he was not putting his sonship in the way we think of sonship. His sonship meant equality with the Father. John chapter 5, verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Why can't the Son do anything of himself? Because when Jesus made the decision to become man, you know, he did not cease to be God. This is something that we can cannot explain. He was 100% God. He was 100% man. But while on earth, Jesus never used his divinity for himself. He did not supply bread or food for himself in the wilderness. He did not supply water when he was at the well. But if anybody need water, he can give them living water, even though he didn't supply the water for himself. The son can do nothing of himself, but what he see the father does. For what things soever he does, these also does the son likewise. So just as how Jesus depended on the father for his daily direction, carrying out the father's plan, so we today can depend on Jesus through the influence of the Holy Spirit. And we, just like Jesus, can fulfill the Father's will. We, just like Jesus, though we are tempted, we can overcome sin. Notice the statement in the Desire of Ages, page 208. The Son of God was surrounded, was surrendered to the Father's will and depended upon his power. So utterly was Christ emptied of self that he made no plan for himself. He accepted God's plan for him. And day by day, the Father unfolded his plan. So should we depend upon God that our lives may be the simply outworking of his will. So we can do this very same thing that Jesus did. Depend on God. John chapter 6 verse 38. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus did his father's will, not just daily, but momently. He was willing to pray without ceasing so that he could know what he should do. And that's why we should pray without ceasing. Some of us, the re reason why we don't have the power to overcome sin is that we just pray in the morning or pray in the evening. But we should pray through the day. And if we pray, then we will have power to resist sin. The angels prostrated themselves before him. They offered their lives. This is when Jesus in heaven is going to lay out the plan of salvation. Jesus said to them that he would by his death save many, that the life of an angel could not pay the debt. Jesus also told them that they would have a part to act, to be with him at different times, strengthening him, just as though we need the protection and strength of the angel. When Jesus came to this earth, he depended on his father's provision sending angels to deliver him. That he would take man's fallen nature and his strength would not even be equal with theirs to the strength of an angel. So here we have God giving up as it were his strength, laying aside his divinity, taking on humanity and come to this earth. And he depended on his father and the protection of angels that they would be witness of his humiliation and great suffering, and that as they would witness his suffering and the hatred of men towards him, they would be stirred with the deepest emotion 
and, so, and through their love for him, would wish to rescue and deliver him from his murderers, but that they must not interfere to prevent anything they should behold. And that's in the book, Story of Redemption, page 43. Going back to John, chapter 5, verse 20. For the Father loveth the Son, and showed him all things that he himself does. You know, in the Bible, Daniel was called the man who was greatly beloved. And then in the New Testament, we find that John said he was the beloved disciple. And here we have again Jesus saying, uh, Jesus saying here, the Father loves the Son and show him all things that he himself does. It reminds us of the text. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophet. So here we have Jesus as a human being in the same uh, respect as other human beings. God loves those who obey him and he shows them the things that he's planning to do. Verse 21. For as the Father raised up the dead and quickened them, even so the Son quickened whom he will. The Father gives to the Son the power to raise the dead. Verse 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Again, we can remember in Daniel chapter 7, it said, Daniel said he saw one that is. He saw the ancients of days sit, and there were thousand times, ten thousand, and thousands of thousands of angels. The books were open, the judgment was set, and then one like the Son of Man came in the cloud of heaven, and he came to that scene. So we know that the ancients of days in that uh, prophecy that Daniel had, all he's doing is just sitting. Just listening, because he's not going to be the judge. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the one who created us. Jesus is the one who died for us. Jesus is the one who is going to come back for us. Jesus is the one who is going to judge. If Jesus came to this earth to die for sinners, and Jesus is the judge, then don't you believe he's going to be willing to save those for whom he died. That's why the Bible tells us we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Not come boastfully, but come to the throne of grace knowing that the very one who is going to be doing the judging is the one who died for us. And the Father is just going to be sitting down looking at his son. Anything you want is up to you. So we can be saved. We are saved because our creator, our redeemer, and our judge is the same person. That all men should honor the son, even as they honor the father. There are certain religions who don't believe this. For instance, the Jehovah Witness don't believe that Jesus is nothing more than just a good man. The Muslims believe even that Muhammad is a, a greater prophet than Jesus. But notice what he said. That all men should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. So the same reverence we should have for God the Father is the same reverence we should have for God the Son. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believe, notice, not just hear the word. But we need to hear, we need to believe on him that sent me had everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death right into life. Now, this does not necessarily mean physical death. You see, we are dead in trespassing and sin. And once we hear God's word and believe God's word, we pass from that spiritual death into spiritual life. Right now, anybody can have eternal life. And that's what Jesus said at the tomb of Lazarus. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, he shall he live. 
and he that liveth and believeth me shall never die. So we need to believe and then we need to do. We need to hear and we need to be obedient. Luke chapter 6 verse 46. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? So we need to hear, we need to believe, we need to do. That's the same thing that's repeated in Revelation chapter 1. Blessed are they that hear the word. Blessed are those who read the word. Blessed are those who keep the word. Three blessings. The spiritual dead shall hear. Notice in John chapter 5, verse 25. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, right at that time when he was speaking, when the dead shall hear. And you're going to see that he's speaking about two different types of dead. The dead, in, in verse 25, they are the spiritual dead. They shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. So the spiritual dead is going to live. For as the Father had life in himself, so had he given to the Son to have life in himself. Notice when Jesus came to this earth again, he laid aside his divinity. Everything he did, everything he was able to do, it was through the power of the Father. We today as human beings have no sin. So Jesus came to this earth in the flesh just like us. We today can do the same things that Jesus did because Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. And he is willing to give us that power to finish his work. And have given him authority to execute judgment also. Why? Because he's the son of a man. The literal death. So in the first chapter, in, in verse 25, we saw the spiritual dead. Now notice now Jesus is going to speak about now the literal death. And notice what he said in verse 28. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that now are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. Now it's interesting in John chapter 5, verse 28, it seems as if those who are wicked and those who are righteous, both will be raised at the same time. But when we go to the book of Revelation, we find out that there is a 1,000 years difference in time between the first resurrection of the righteous and the second resurrection of the wicked. So we know there will be two resurrections by John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. In Revelation, I think it's Revelation 17 or 18, 17. We can look it up. But it's in Revelation. It shows that there are two resurrections, but then it gives that there's a 1,000 years difference between the two resurrections. Jesus repeat himself. John chapter 5, verse 19, he said it, and he's saying it again. I cannot mine own self do nothing. So some people will say Jesus never sinned because he had the power in him to resist sin. Notice what Jesus is saying. I, of mine own self, can do nothing. I cannot heal by myself. When I'm in was on the earth as a human being, I could not resist sin by myself. When I was on the earth as a human being, everything that I was able to accomplish, I accomplished it through the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him. When we accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit come upon us. The problem is. Some of us keep walking away and will not listen to the still small voice. Some of us will not hide the word of God in our heart. David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I cannot mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. 
And my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which sent me. We find the same thing again in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus prayed, he said, Father, please take this cup from me, but not my own will. It's your will. I am on this earth to do your will. So we today should think the same way. We are on this earth to do God's will. And what's God's will? The Bible said the will of God is that men be saved. John 5, 31-47 If I be a witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that be a witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witness of me is true. Now, this is a very interesting text. You might not realize how interesting this text is. Jesus is saying there are two that bearing witness. I'm bearing witness, and there's somebody else is bearing witness. And the next person who is bearing witness of him is his father. So Jesus and the father can't be the same person because in order for a person to be condemned, you must have at least two witnesses. So if Jesus and the Father are the same person, then this would make no sense. He wouldn't be a witness, according to the Bible. Because in the Bible, you need two witnesses. If you only have one person, if, if a person commits a crime and only one person see that crime, that person would never be found guilty. That's biblical. That's what Moses said in the book of Deuteronomy. So in order for a court, biblical court, to condemn a person, you need two witnesses. And that's what Jesus is appealing to. He's appealing to what he's doing, and he's appealing to the Father. You send unto John, and he be a witness unto the truth. But I don't receive testimony from man, but these things I send to you, that you may be saved. Concerning John, he was a burning and a shining light. And you were willing for a season to rejoice in the light. Notice again, we said in the, Bible, in the book of John, you're always going to come up on water, light, and bread. And see here, the people are willing to walk in the light for a while, and then they turn away. When John said they need to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand, they were thinking that, oh, judgment time is coming. But when time went on and they didn't see the judgment of God, they went back to their daily, the way they were. We shouldn't be like that. When we turn away from sin, we should turn away from sin completely and don't go back to sin. Verse 36. But I have greater weakness than that of John. So John was a good witness. But John wasn't the one who witnessed to show who Jesus was. He had greater witness for that. For the works which the Father had given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. What work was given to Jesus? Way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. He shall bruise thy head, or he shall bruise thy head, and thou will only bruise his heel. And here we have Jesus coming to this world, and he is totally destroying the works of the devil. So that's the weakness that the people should have known. They should have known that it was a promise that was made 4,000 years before that time that Jesus was there fulfilling. And the Father himself, which has sent me, had bore witness of me. When did the Father be a witness of Jesus? When he was baptized, the Bible said, the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove, and then a voice from heaven witnessed by saying, this is my son. And notice again, son does not mean son in the way we have children. Son there meant equality with the father. You have not seen, you have not heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. Isn't that an interesting statement? You have not seen the father's shape. Does the Father have a shape? You see, when we think of God as a spirit, we should never think of 
spirit in the sense of what Hollywood movie uh, portrayed. Remember, man was created in the image of God. We have gone through 6,000 years of degeneration. We look nothing. We just a shell as to what God had created. But remember, man was created in God's image. So Jesus is saying to the people, you have not seen the Father's shape. Now, remember, angels are ministering spirits. And again, it's not spirits smoke like what you see in Hollywood uh, scare movies. Because the Bible tells us that even though angels were spirit, that the fallen angel and Lucifer will be burned up and become ashes. So we need to understand that spirit is might be of a substance that we don't fully understand. John chapter 5 verse 31. And he have not his word abiding in you. For whom he sent, he believed not. Search the scriptures. Go and check them. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. It's interesting what Jesus is saying. He's telling the people, you're looking at the scriptures. You think just by memorizing the scriptures, you're going to have eternal life. But that's not what the scripture is about. The story is not about Goliath, David slaying Goliath. The story is not about Isaac, Abraham sending his servant to get a wife for Isaac. The story is not about Judah making appeal to Pharaoh to release Benjamin. All the stories in the Bible have something to do with the theme of salvation. And remember what the Bible said that when Jesus was speaking to the disciples on the way to Emmaus, he said he started in the Moses and the prophets and he expounded all the things in the scripture concerning himself. We're going to come to that text in a little while. The testimony concerning Jesus can be found in the Old Testament. That's what Jesus is telling them. We don't even need the New Testament. We should be able to see Jesus in the pages of the Old Testament. Luke chapter 20, 24, this is the text that I, was just that I just mentioned. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow apart, to believe that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So the story is not about David trying to kill Goliath. The story there is a picture of Jesus defeating the devil. Jesus in humanity defeating the devil. From Moses to the prophets. Speak about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Verse 31. I mean, verse 40. And he will not come to me that he might have life. The only way we can have life is by coming to Jesus. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 41. I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that you have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name. Jesus never came in his name. You know, the, the name Christian is a good name. It's, a, it's an honorable name to be called a Christian. But notice, Jesus never came into his, in his name. He came to magnify the Father's name. And he received me not. If another shall come in his own name, him shall he receive. And we see that today. There are many churches that all they're doing is following a, a person. Follow, following the founding uh, person who started the religion. Or the founding person who started that church. People call themselves Lutheran and Methodist because... They're following the person who started that denomination. 
You know, sometimes Seventh-day Adventists are accused of following Ellen White. But if we believe that we are the remnant church, then we know that Ellen White didn't start the Seventh-day Adventist church. Remember the Bible said that the woman was given wings of an eagle that she should go into the wilderness for 1260 years. The Bible says 1260 days of or uh, time, time, and half time. So the woman went into the wilderness. At the end of that time period, the woman come out of the wilderness. You know, Moses did not start the nation of Israel. Moses led the people out of Egypt by God's power. So in the sense, the early found people like Ellen White, they didn't start the Seventh-day Adventist denomination. The church was just coming back out of the wilderness. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accused you, even Moses, in whom you trust. The people used to call themselves disciples of Moses. Yet when Moses was on earth, the people who were alive at that time wanted to kill him. So many people today, they want to believe and be disciples of dead people. We are not disciples of a dead person. We are disciples of a living Savior. Because he rose from the dead. For had he believed Moses, he would have believed me. For he wrote of me. Where can you find Moses writing about Jesus? If we study the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, one of the things that we're going to find in it is a sanctuary service. So in the sanctuary service, every article in the sanctuary service was showing something about Jesus. The candlestick. It gave light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Bread, the table of showbread. It was said there was a symbol of God providing bread. But Jesus said, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. The door to the tabernacle, it was one door. It was on the east. Jesus said, I am the door. The lamb, John said, Jesus is a lamb that take away the sin of the world. If you look at the tabernacle itself, the entrance to the, to the holy and the most holy place, which was separated by just a curtain, the entrance to the holy place had five pillars. Why five pillars? The five pillars are the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus, the book of Numbers, Ex Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are the five books representing the five pillars as the entrance to the tabernacle. Then from the holy place to the most holy place, you don't have five pillars. You have four pillars. Those four pillars represent the four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So just as the five books tell us about Jesus, same way the four, the, the four books tell us about Jesus. Then you have the altar with incense. If it's not for Jesus, no man can approach the Father. We have the veil right before the altar of incense. That the blood was sprinkled on the veil. Jesus took our sin because when a person confessed their sin on the Lamb, the sin was transferred from the person to the Lamb. The Lamb was slain. A part of it was burned on the altar of burnt sacrifice. Some of the blood was sprinkled at the base of the altar of burnt sacrifice, but some of the blood was sprinkled on the veil. Jesus is that veil. If you look at this, the, the, the holy and the most holy place, you had 48 boards that made up the, the holy and the most holy place. 48 boards. When the children of Israel went into the promised land, God told them that they should have 48 cities of refuge. So each board that made the temple represented one of the city of refuge. What's the purpose of the city of refuge? If somebody committed a crime that was worthy of death and they did not do it willfully, they could 
flee to one of those cities of refuge. They would stay in the city of refuge until that reigning high priest died. When the reigning high priest died, they would be able to go back to their land of inheritance. It's the same thing. The Bible says God is our refuge and strength, a present help in time of need. When we sin, we can run to the city of refuge. When that high priest, Jesus, the high priest died, we have a right to go back into our Eden home. So everything in the sanctuary represented, represented Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying. Moses wrote about me. But you will never find the name Jesus in the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But you will find the name, or you will find the information concerning that promised Savior in those five books. A Savior would come to this earth. And when he died, we'll be able to get back to our Eden home. So Moses wrote of me, and Jesus is telling them, if you don't believe Moses, even though they call themselves Moses' disciples, they didn't believe what Moses wrote. Because if they had believed Moses' writing, then they would have accepted Jesus. In the wilderness, Jesus represented, or the serpent on the pole represented Jesus. And that's what Jesus said to Nicodemus in chapter 4. As Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man would be lifted up. That whosoever look should live. If a person was in their tent and they were beaten by that great serpent and Satan, the devil, if they sin, all they have to do is look in faith to Jesus. And whosoever look will live. So the purpose where Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath day and told him to carry his bed was to get this information to that crowd who would be in Jerusalem at the Passover. And as they would go back home, they would realize that the living water, the Savior, the bread of life was among them. I hope John chapter 5, as you review it, you will get an understanding that God will save us through Jesus, who is going to be our judge. Thank you very much for coming. And thank you very much for listening.